the people that are reporting to me. I don't think about it like they're serving me. I think about it like I'm serving them. Hi, I'm Michael Hyatt. And I'm Megan Hyatt Miller. And this is Lead to Win, the weekly podcast to help you win at work and succeed at life. And we want to talk about how to get the feedback that you need to grow as a leader. We're going to talk about five actions that you can take to conduct intentional candor meetings in your business. And the benefits of this are enormous. You know, you could go to a leadership coach. But the problem is the leadership coach will never see you in a situation like the people that report to you see you, right? Because they're they're seeing you kind of unfiltered when you're not on your best behavior. And they're exper- experiencing it from the top down as opposed to you managing up or across. And so it's important to get it from the people that you're trying to lead because they know better than anybody what's it like to be led by you. Yeah. All right, Ken, do you know what's happening right now? No, I have no idea. (laughs) Well, first of all, it's your favorite time of year, finally. Yes! We can act, okay, like I give approval for us to actually listen to Christmas music now that Thanksgiving's over. Jingle bells, jingle bells. Yes. Uh, it's our holiday sale here at Full Focus. Oh, and we have better. some really awesome deals going on, especially if for some reason you missed out on our Black Friday deals. This is a great time to get your planners and everything for the new year. And so we have got uh, some awesome deals. So we've got 10% off site wide. Um, we've got where you can get a free um, your best year ever vinyl sticker pack. For any new planner subscription that you sign up for. So these are great to put on things like your Stanley mug. Wow, you already put them on your Stanley mug? And if you got them if you got them on Black Friday, these are different. These are these are gonna be new for the new year. Uh, but they're great for that. You can also put them on your planner, you can put them on your computer, wherever you want them. But they're great. Good. They're great stickers. We're also doing 25% off courses. Let's go. So specifically, we've been talking a lot about our goal setting course. Um, and this is going to be $75 off and you get a free ticket to your best year ever live with your purchase. So you definitely don't. It's huge. like a crazy, crazy, crazy deal. So you don't want to miss out on that. And your favorite thing, which is our certification program we're doing $800 off of it. And this is a fantastic time of year to get in. Um, We are actually going to be doing a beta group for our new digital planner. Yes. It's going to be fantastic. Crazy exciting. So anyways, go to fullfocusstore.com now shop our holiday sale. Make sure to use the code holiday 10 to get all these deals and more. So Megan, I know this is something near and dear to you and something that you've put a lot of effort and thought into. So just talk a little bit about the problem of how this becomes difficult the more you rise in the ranks. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is sort of one of those uh, good news, bad news that your success creates this problem kind of a scenario. And here's what I mean. You know, we have been talking for a while on the podcast and elsewhere about how as business owners, we inevitably become the ceiling on our business, you know, that the business cannot grow past our own capabilities and capacity and and thinking ability or whatever. And so what we've got to be intentional about doing is removing those obstacles so that the the ceiling on ourselves can grow. Well, one one of the biggest obstacles to growth is just awareness, 
right? And the more people that you hire, the more successful you become. Oftentimes there's a barrier between you and uh, what other people think about your leadership, how effective you are. You know, when, when you're very at the beginning of your business, oftentimes you have a direct line of sight. You have people who are willing to tell you the truth. Maybe maybe you're not that powerful yet. Nobody's really that intimidated. But over time, uh, either because there are people in between you or because uh, inadvertently, maybe people feel like the expectation is they're just supposed to say positive things to you. Nobody's giving you critical feedback. And I mean that in a positive way, constructive feedback to help you grow and you can develop blind spots and they can just go on, uh, you know, for, for years and years and you can be unintentionally sabotaging yourself and really keeping that ceiling fixed on your business. So uh, we want to get that out of the way. And, and one of the best ways that I've found to do that is by proactively asking the people who report to me to give me candid feedback. And, you know, this is a little uncomfortable, but every time I bring this up with our coaching clients, they are like clamoring to know more because I think it's a it's a real felt need that we don't have access to the input that we need to grow as leaders. Well, the thing about it is that this is free, doesn't cost us anything, mm-hmm. and it's readily available. People would love the opportunity to talk about your leadership, but they need permission and they need to know that it's a safe environment to do so. Yep. And so one of the things I've experienced over the years is I've asked some of these questions and been intentional about gathering feedback is that people will often try a little bit of feedback yeah. that's not that scary because they want to see how you're going to react. And if you become defensive or you become angry or if you have any negative emotion, including a scowl on your face, that stops. Okay. I have to tell you a funny story. Okay. I've, so let me set this up first by saying the way that I solicit this feedback, and we're going to get in, into this in detail, is I ask a series of questions um, in conversations that I have with my direct reports twice a year. And this is all inspired by the book Radical Candor by Kim Scott. The questions are inspired by her. I, I can't even remember which ones I pulled directly from the book and which ones I just sort of jumped off from. <laughs> but when I started doing these groups, uh, I've done it both in a group setting and a one-on-one setting. I had to consciously say to myself, manage your face, manage your face. <laughs> because when people give you feedback, you know, the we can kind of let our thoughts come out through our body sometimes, you know, like we're doing a good job maybe and we're expending a lot of energy on not interrupting the person giving us the feedback, but our body, you know, we start to kind of wiggle and twitch and fidget and maybe, like you said, get a scowl. And I have to consciously have a little conversation in my head, relax your face, relax your body, take a breath. (laughs) It's like, I just repeat that in my own head. This is like one of the biggest things I've had to learn too, is is just to smile and be welcoming. I think my natural resting face, and yes, they do have a word for that or an acronym, (laughs) which I'm not going to quote, but my kind of my resting face is... I, I think of it as thoughtful and open, but for whatever reason, people in the past have interpreted that as angry or there's something going on inside of me. I mean, just even a poker face is not a helpful thing here. Right. You've got to be nodding and encouraging it and smiling. Yep. And most of us, I think, in leadership, think that we smile more than we actually do. Yep. That's really and true. And sometimes it takes some outside help, and I've had to employ uh, different people at different times to try to get me to smile. When, I, when I'm speaking publicly, I had a booking agent one time. I said, look, I need to work on this because I watched some video of myself 
And I said, ooh, I look so stern. And like even telling a joke and stuff, you know, I wasn't smiling. And so he worked with me over the course of, I don't know, two years or so. And he would stand in the back of the room and he would point at his face and make a big smile, which was my cue to smile more. Even after I started doing it and started working on it, that I'd watch video and I'd say, gosh, I'm still not doing it as much as it feels like because I felt like I was this grinning idiot. Yeah. But as it turns out, I wasn't. I was only occasionally smiling. So this is something to be aware of when you embark upon this, this process because it will shut things down if you don't come across as yeah. open and make the environment safe. And that's on you. Yeah, it is. It's kind of like uh, your primitive brain through your facial expressions is talking to somebody else's primitive brain. <laughs> and like, that's the conversation Perfect. that that's kind of the meta conversation that's happening. And so that's why your, you know, your body language and your facial expressions and your tone of voice and everything really matter. And you want to basically what you want to communicate is keep going, say more, you know? And so you've got to be safe in that way for the person who's, who's brave enough to share their feedback in what I call these candor meetings. So let's talk about the first one. And the first one, action one, select the candor questions. Yeah. So this is not where you're just going to spitball or free associate, but you're going to have a list of specific questions that you go in with that you want answers to. So Megan, you actually developed these or borrowed them from Kim. So please talk about these. Yeah. So I have a list of 11 questions and we're going to talk about this um, in a second, how this kind of works in the meeting. But I basically break these up into two groups of questions because 11 questions would be a lot. I could, I find that, um, you know, you can get through about half of these in one meeting where it's not too overwhelming. You can do this, by the way, in a group. You have to have a pretty high trust group and you need to have somebody identified to go first who is uh, maybe a little bit uh, on, the, on the braver side, somebody who is, uh, you know, you can just count on who you have a really good relationship with to kind of kick things off because it'll give other people courage. But that's sort of an interesting group dynamic when I've done it that way. But here are the questions, the 11 questions. So the first one is, how can I serve you better as a leader? How can I serve you better as a leader? Okay, before you go on, yeah, I just want to say there's a philosophy of leadership that's baked into that I think you should, you should talk about. Yeah. There is. You know, I think about my direct reports as my most important clients. You know, we have a whole bunch of coaching clients who are very important to me, hundreds of those folks, many of whom are listening, and they are at the top of our list of important people. But even above them are my direct reports. And I say that because they're the people who are taking care of those clients primarily and their teams, of course. And I know that if I take good care of, of my people, they'll take good care of our clients. And so, you know, I really want to serve the people that are reporting to me. I don't think about it like they're serving me. I think about it like I'm serving them and I need to help clear the path for them to make their greatest contribution. And if I'm doing that well, then they will make their greatest contribution, which will enable me to make mine. So um, I think I think you're right. It is a There's a philosophy baked in there. Yes. And it's helpful to know that philosophy yep. and be intentional about your own leadership philosophy. Yep. And we subscribe to something that we didn't originate. Somebody else did. I'm not sure if it was uh, Blanchard or somebody like him, but the whole idea of servant leadership, yep. that's our model. Yeah, definitely. Okay, so that's number one. How do I serve you better as a leader? Number two is, what is one thing that you need from me 
that you haven't been getting? What's one thing you need for me that you haven't been getting? You know, because often there are unmet needs, just like there are unmet needs in a marriage or in a parent-child relationship or a friendship. There can be unmet needs in a relationship with someone who reports to you that, gosh, it's not that you're intentionally withholding yourself. It's just that like, you don't know what those needs are. And maybe they they would say something like, you know, I really need for, uh, you know, my my wife to understand the vision of this company so that she understands what I'm contributing to. Okay, well, you know what? We can have dinner next week and we can talk about that. You know, these are usually very easy to solve things, but not the kind of things you'd normally bring up. It's not like any one-on-one agenda. You know, you're asking that question on a regular basis. So this is a really good one. All right. And then number three is, in what ways do you feel set up to win or set up to lose in your position? And gosh, this is another really good one because you may be as the leader kind of rigging the game in such a way, you know, maybe it's in your leadership style or how you hold that person accountable or how you set goals um, or, or whatever it is. In some way, that person either feels like they're set up to win or they're set up to lose. And so often they're just these small things that are in the way that are are creating problems for somebody or that you want to do more of because gosh, it's working. Um, and unless you ask directly, they're, you're just not going to know those things. So I love that one too. The thing that's important here is that high achievers especially will not play a game where there's not the possibility of winning. Yeah. So if they feel like the the, the game is set up in a way that they can't possibly win, they will disengage. And this is why in a lot of corporations and a lot of our coaching clients, the reason they have such a low level of engagement is because the leader, them, they haven't defined the win and how people can win. So people are just kind of phoning it in Uh and you don't want that. Well, you know, that's why in our mission statement, we say we're a performance coaching company. And what we teach our clients how to do is drive performance, both in themselves and in their teams. And so I think that uh, you're absolutely right. You want to be very intentional. You don't want this to be unconscious or an afterthought. You want to be very intentional about what it looks like for this person to create a game that they can win and remove any obstacles that are in the way of that. Question number four is, if we could resolve one issue to improve your role, what would it be? If we could resolve one issue to improve your role, what would it be? Now, this is a great one to ask just in general, but I have asked this oftentimes in a group setting with the team of my direct report. And I find that especially people who uh, may not have the decision-making power find themselves with some annoying process or some, uh, you know, kind of um, hierarchical way of doing things that is is really creating a lot of problems for them and keeping them from being able to make their greatest contribution. And oftentimes what they will tell you is something so dinky and small from your perspective. You're like, I can do that in 10 minutes on my way home from this meeting, you know? And, so, and for them, it makes like a world of difference. I had somebody tell me one time was when I was holding these candor conversations in a much bigger corporation in a different context, Somebody said to me, because I asked a version of this question, they said, if I could get another file cabinet, that would change my world. Because <laughs> they were they had maxed out their file cabinet, and they literally had to have one of their colleagues come over and pry open 
the existing file so they could stuff another one in there. They said, if, if I could just get another file, cabinet, it would change my world. Right. And I'm thinking, wow, I can make that happen. Would How about this afternoon? Right. Or somebody will say something like, you know, I've just... I do so much writing on my laptop that, you know, the R doesn't work anymore on my keyboard and it just makes it so much harder to write. And you're like, this is a $5 problem. Like we can do it right now, you know? So anyway, I love this question because it's, it's kind of the hero question. Like it kind of gives you the opportunity to be a hero exactly. to somebody um, with not a whole lot of effort, but you know, with a big impact. So it's great. All right. So number five is what opportunities for improvement do you see in our business? What opportunities for improvement do you see in our business? This is a great question because um, if you haven't done this much before, what you will find when you start intentionally creating space for people to give you feedback is that sometimes the best ideas come from other people than you. <laughs> you know, so often the people True. who work for us have a level of insight, have a perspective that we just don't see. We can't see it from our perspective, which is kind of up at 30,000 feet. They're much closer to the ground. They have a totally different vantage point and they can see opportunities for improvement or things that are really threatening that we just miss. And so, I mean, from my perspective, the opportunity to get intelligence from people who are in different positions than us is so extraordinarily valuable. So I've gotten some great answers to this question. Me too. All right, so question number six is, what could I do better to lead our team as a whole? So this is kind of a macro question, you know, what could I do better to lead our team as a whole? But, uh, you know, this is, this is giving people the opportunity to evaluate how effective is your leadership company-wide? And again, they're going to be privy to conversations with people who report to them or just with others who are at their same level where people are saying at the water cooler, gosh, you know, she just... She never really communicates or she never really tells us why, uh, you know, we do what we do or man, there's just too many surprises. We don't, we don't really understand, you know, when things are coming down the pike and it's so disruptive. It's like she doesn't even understand our work. And so this, this kind of intelligence again, uh, enables you to, to dial in your leadership so you can be far more effective company wide. Yeah. This is a sense in which you're asking them to help you define the win. For yes. you, you know, you're helping to find the win for them, but you kind of need to know what it takes to win with the team. Yep. And so there's nobody better to do that than the people that are the recipient of your leadership yep. and are charged with leading other people. They're kind of in the middle and get to experience both sides of it yep. and can be ambas an ambassador or representative of the entire team. And that's helpful. Absolutely. You know, we did this in a survey recently, so not exactly in a, a candor conversation, although we gave people the opportunity to provide candid feedback. What did they need from a culture standpoint? We had a series of questions that we asked. And I had one idea in mind, you know, I thought I need to be really spending more time with the team, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I'm sure to some degree, that's, that's always true. But what they actually wanted was more social time together. And that's the kind of thing that would come up in a conversation. Like, you know, I really wish you would provide more opportunities for us you know, in a, a post COVID world to connect with each other as team members, you know, and you're like, oh gosh, I'm so glad I have that, uh, that insight or I would have solved the wrong problem. Thank you so much. You know, so um, you can really get some surprising answers to this question. By the way, par parenthetically, this is probably something we could make an entire episode over, but one of the things we've seen in the last, you know, 20 to 50 years, you know, fewer people are going to church. Yeah. Fewer people have, you know, what we would think of as a traditional family with a mom and a dad and, you know, all that. Right. And so people have kind of lost some of that 
that nurturing social structure structure that they used to have, and they're looking more and more to work for that. Mm-hmm. And there's a sense in which we kind of have to provide it in order for people to be productive. Well, especially after a couple years of virtual everything, people are really hungry for it. Good point. Marissa, I cannot tell you how excited I am for your best year ever live coming up January 5th. Yes, I'm so excited too. I can't wait. Yes, this is the event that you would want to come attend. If you're just like, man, I want to look at how well did I do in the past, but I also want to set myself up for success to have, like we call it in the title, your best year ever. This is the event you want to be at. We have thousands of people coming to this event already. And you and I will be emceeing this event. Yes. So there's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of excitement to come join us to make it a great year for you. Now, in order for you to receive it, all you have to do is buy the full focus goal setting course and you get a ticket to your best year ever. Yes. And the best part is that that course is 25% off right now. So... Uh, you're going to get a discount and a ticket to the live event, which is normally $197. That's a killer so deal. So it's a killer deal. It's a no-brainer in my opinion. Um, but definitely join us. It's going to be so much fun. January 5th, it's totally virtual. So no matter where you are in the world or um, you know whether you can get on a plane or not, don't worry about it. You don't have to. You can do this from the comfort of your own home. And We'll be right there. Yeah. And just imagine having your goals already set for the entire year and a plan to execute them. Yeah. That's worth all the money that you can. And the best part, it's a free event for you if you buy the Full Focus Goal Setting Course. Yes. All right. Well, we would love to see you there. So make sure to go to fullfocusstore.com and take advantage of this deal. We'd love to see you at your best driver live. Okay, what's number seven? Okay, number seven is my favorite question. This is also the most vulnerable one. So, you know, I have this kind of down the list for a reason. I would recommend doing this in your second set of questions, which is what's one thing that I do that makes you crazy? (laughs) What's one thing that I do that makes you crazy? Now, this is one where you just really have to manage your face and you're probably gonna see the person on the other end of giving the feedback start to squirm a little bit because they're they're probably going to have something that they prepare that they want to share with you and they're going to be hesitant and they're going to be looking at all those primitive cues like can I really tell her you know and so you got to make it safe but I have had some great answers to this question and fortunately I've also been blessed with direct reports who really are are willing to give me this feedback. One of the things that I got uh, a couple times in a row was that when I change meetings around, so for example, um, like this next Friday, we have a company-wide monthly focus meeting. So as a, as a team, we get together on a monthly basis. Uh, we're gonna you know go over financial results and all that kind of stuff. And I was considering a couple weeks ago moving it, and I for good reasons, you know. But I remembered in the back of my head this feedback that I had gotten from the from a couple of my direct reports about when you move meetings around, it creates a cascading effect that you really have no idea about, and it's just a a crazy scramble for everybody moving all their one on one meetings, and you know what what you don't realize is just this domino. And if you could just schedule things and leave them alone, that would be really helpful. <laughs> That's good. All right. What's number eight? Number eight is what's one thing that you'd like me to keep doing? So, you know, it's not all bad news. We want to make sure that we know 
what is really working in our relationship with our direct reports or with any group of people. So, you know, for example, if consistent one-on-ones are really working for them, that's great. Or if you call uh, somebody on the phone every day on your way home, like I every day call uh, my assistant Elizabeth as I'm driving to pick up one of our kids from school, and that that really helps her to get the answer she needs to move forward with her job. I imagine she might say something like that for this question. You know, it, again, it might not be a big thing, but it's really helping somebody and you wouldn't want to accidentally change that, not realizing that's the very thing that is helping set somebody up to win. I like that. Okay, number nine. Okay, number nine. What's one disconnect that you see between me and the rest of the team? What's one disconnect that you see between me and the rest of the team? Can you give an example of that one? Does anything come to mind? Yeah. Well, we've been going through some big changes lately at Full Focus. You know, we had our big rebrand shortly after the first of the year and have just been really kind of reimagining several things in our business. And of course, I'm kind of always at the center of those decisions. And I realized recently that I had made a mistake. I was meeting with uh, our directors, our leadership team last week, and I realized that in an effort to try to free up some time for them, I had canceled a couple of meetings recently and I thought I was doing them a favor and probably in the short term might have felt like that to them too. The negative was that they were not privy to one, the progress that I saw that we were making on some big projects, the the why behind why it was worth the, the challenges that we were facing as we were implementing those changes and, uh, and, and how proud I was of them, you know? So I think that they were, frankly, a little bit stressed out with uh, just what we were working through. And all that it would have taken for me is to spend more time with them and connect with them and really make sure that I was reinforcing the decisions that we had made, uh, you know, what we were doing together, all that kind of stuff. And there was a disconnect between what I knew was going on and how purposeful it was and how helpful it was and how, how excited I was about the future and what they were experiencing day to day with their teams kind of in the trenches, so to speak. And I could have bridged that gap by just more communication and connection. And so I think if I'd asked this question to them, that's probably what they would have said to me. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Number 10 is how can I better communicate with you? And I've got an example I want to give on this one. Yeah. So, you know, I, I wish I had had, in this case, it was a board member who was also part of the ownership team of a company that I was running. And he would text me after hours. Uh, I'm talking yeah. eight or nine o'clock and it was never, Hey, congratulations. We're giving you a raise or Hey, we're, you know, you've earned more on your bonus than I know you even expected. You know, it was <laughs> never, it was never good news. It was always either some bad news or it was some thorny question that he wanted the answer to that would keep me up at night. And so what I would have said to him, had he answered me or asked me this question, how can I better communicate with you? I'd say, hey, that tough stuff, I'm totally up for that, but I do better in the morning. So if you've got that Mm -hmm. tough stuff, I'm more resourceful in the morning, not when I'm already tired and worn out. And, you know, I'm going to be honest, at the end of the, the day, sometimes when I get tired, I get a little bit negative. And so that's not the best time to hand me a problem and say, solve mm-hmm. this. Because what I end up doing is spending, you know, half the night tossing and turning about it yep. and never really getting to a solution when if you gave that to me in the morning, I could probably come up with a solution in 10 minutes. Yeah. So yeah, it, it's those kinds of things. Well, I had uh, a direct report years ago who would always communicate with me in very lengthy 
Slack messages. Oh, there you go. Yeah. You know, super narrative, like big, long paragraphs, hundreds of words. And I'm a person who likes to have the conclusion first. I like to know Me too. where we're going to end up. And then you can back it up. And as I said uh, recently to somebody, please put your message in bullet points if at all possible. Just short sentences, bullet points, you know, make it easy for me to scan because I'm probably reading it between messages. Well, the other person wasn't malicious in their communication style. They were trying to be thorough. They were trying to make sure I had all the information I needed. It was, you know, well-intended, but it was really frustrating to me. And I think that's a good example. This is just kind of communication styles. And there are, you know, there are things you can do to frustrate people or not. And you may not be aware of it. And you may not be aware of it. Yeah. Okay. Last question. Okay, last question. What are your top three suggestions to help me be a better leader in our business? And this is really fun. This is when you really feel like the other person is acting as your coach. Uh, And again, these people have a front row seat to your leadership. They know what they think would be areas of opportunity. And I've gotten some great suggestions uh, in these these areas. Sometimes it's, you know, do more of what you're doing in XYZ area. And also, if you could do this, it'd be great. Um, but I think this is a great question to leave on because it tends to be very action-oriented and, and you know, something you can can go put into play right away. I've had a couple of coaching situations where I'm talking to a client And they're like, you know, I don't know what else I could do. And so they give me permission to talk to somebody on their team. And somebody on their team knows exactly what they need to do. Right. And they're completely oblivious, unaware of any of that. And if they just ask their team, gosh, they get to the answer so much faster. Because like you said, those people have a front row seat Mm -hmm. to your leadership and they probably know best. Okay, believe it or not, that all was action number one, select the candor questions. The rest of this is going to go a lot faster. What's action number two? Well, simply, action number two is to schedule meetings with your direct report. So I do this with my executive assistant. I have her schedule two of these meetings per year, you know, roughly six-month intervals. Uh, I like to do one kind of right at the beginning of the year and then one midway through the year. But this is not one of those things that you want to try to fit in, you know, like uh, spontaneously. I think the discipline of having it on your calendar helps to move you quickly and the person on the other end who's giving the feedback through the awkwardness uh, or maybe the that little sense of dread that you may have until you've done it enough times to know how valuable it is. If you just have it as a recurring appointment on your calendar, it's so, so helpful. I usually try to leave 90 minutes for this. Um, I think that that is important. You don't want to feel rushed. There will be a lot of questions um, or a lot of opportunity for a little bit of back and forth. So do you do these meetings in a group context or in one-on-one context? So I have done them in a group context. I think I mentioned earlier that I uh, had had a, a good experience with that. I like that. I think that it's probably more productive to do it in a one-on-one context. You certainly are not going to get through five or six questions in a group unless you have half a day or something. So I think if you if you decide to do it in a group, I would just do a couple of questions max. Um, but I, I really like to do it as a rhythm, as a part of my one-on-one cadence uh, with my direct reports. People may want to try this in a group setting and try mm-hmm. it in one-on-one. Yeah. And just experiment with it. Yes. The thing I like about the group experience, and I, I agree with you, I typically would, would default to one-on-one. But the thing I do like about a group experience, and you and I have done it in a group context before, yeah. is that it can kind of validate whether that's a quirk that only one person notices yeah. 
or whether the whole team is seeing the same thing as the person who happened to voice it. So there's there's value to both of them. And I just would say, try both. See which one you prefer. One of the things I would be cautious of if you do this in a group is I wouldn't get too far down the org chart where there's just a really big power differential because I think it would be, I think you can you can maybe pick different questions, but these are really asking a lot of the people sharing the they feedback. Are. And you're asking them to take a risk from their perspective is how it's going to feel. And I think if they're they're two layers down from you, if you're in a bigger company or more, I think that's going to put them in a pretty tricky situation, especially because it's likely you don't have much of a relationship with those people personally. I think if you're going to do it in a, a group, I would try to reserve that for your direct reports to the best of your ability. People that you have a lot of rapport with and a lot of trust and more likely a sense of safety. Okay, action number one, select the candor questions. Action number two, schedule meetings with direct reports. Action number three. Send the questions in advance. And I kind of happened upon this by accident. I don't think I did this the first few times that I did these meetings. I've been doing them for a couple of years now. And what I found is that you get a better quality of answer if you allow people to think about it. And I think that's because there is an inherent vulnerability to sharing candidly with someone. And if if they're thinking of the answers off the cuff, they're going to be more likely to kind of hedge their bets or pull their punches, you know, in real time. But if they're referencing what they've already written when they were all by themselves preparing for this meeting, they're more likely to say what they really mean. And so I, I would encourage people, I don't normally ask people to re- prepare for one-on-ones very often other than, you know, sharing, um, you know, KPIs or something like that. But I think in this case, you're really doing them a favor by asking them to prepare. I think also this gives a chance for people who have a personality type where they just process more right. slowly or yes. thoughtfully. Uh, it gives them a chance to do that. So they're not kind of put on the spot and have to be, you know, a quick start when that's not really their personality makeup. Yep. So you want to be be respectful of people's, you know, diverse personality types and mm-hmm. give everybody a chance to play at the same level. I totally agree. Okay. Action number four. Action number four is to conduct the meeting. Okay. So you've scheduled it. You've, you've sent the questions in advance. You pick the questions, you know, all those things. Now it's time to actually do the meeting. And so again, I reserve about 90 minutes for this meeting. I don't like to feel rushed. I like it there to feel like there's a little bit of breathing room where I can ask a follow-up question, where I can ask somebody, usually I'll ask this many times, okay, say more about that. You know, I'll invite them to share more because like you said at the very beginning of this episode, sometimes what people do is they'll kind of test the waters. You know, they'll say about half as much as they mean. And if you if you say to them, well, say more about that, you know, it's like a therapist trick. They will eventually really get to the heart of the issue and you want to allow enough time to get through that. So I think having enough time is helpful. Also, you've got to actively listen. You know, you've got to make sure that um, your, your face and your body Make it look like you want to be there, not like you're offended. You don't want to be leaning back with your arms crossed. You want to be curious. Um, you want to be uh, really interested in what they're saying and make your face <laughs> communicate, hey, keep going. This is this is excellent. And I often will say, this is so valuable. I know it's a little awkward to do this, but you're really helping me. Because if you don't say that, you know they're not sure. And 90 minutes can feel like a long time to be vulnerable. So this is important. 
Um, also, don't do too much talking. I mean, one of the things I have found, I have a couple of times I've actually uh, unintentionally allowed myself to fall into this, is explaining why you did the thing that they, for example, when they when you ask, what's one thing I, I do that makes you crazy? Maybe if in that example, for me, of changing the meetings, you know, maybe I could say, well, you know, you may not know that I'm really trying to make sure that I, I'm always in regular communication. And because, you know, my job has me changing my own schedule frequently because of the needs of the business. You know, I, I really sometimes have to do this, but that's only because I'm prioritizing the team. You want to not have any comments like that. This is not the opportunity for you to justify yourself as much as you may feel that impulse. This is really the opportunity to validate, to thank them for sharing, especially the more vulnerable it is, and then just ask clarifying questions as needed, you know? So uh, this is going to involve some self-control on your part as a business owner or the leader. Can I say also, I think you need to listen for what's true and what resonates. Right. And don't get hung up on this stuff that you that sure. doesn't resonate. Yeah. You know, like, for example, somebody may say something to you and you go, you know that that was a one-off behavior. You've right. never done it before. You don't intend to do it again. Right. But forget that. Don't try to justify yourself as Megan was just saying. But I think there are, there are situations where when you're listening, if you can find 10% of it that's true, that 10%, if you could change that, will be enormously helpful to your leadership. So focus on the area that resonates mm -hmm. and the area that you know you can correct. Well, I think that's another good point. Part of how we exercise self-control and you know manage our facial expressions, our body language, is you're not obligated to take any of this feedback. I mean, you know, you might have somebody who's, this has not ever happened to me, but you might have somebody who just has it out for you or they're just wildly uh, misguided in their perspective or have a, a bone to pick or whatever. And, you know, you don't have to do what they're asking you to do. That's, that's not the point of the meeting. There's not an implicit commitment to solve these issues necessarily. And so I think part of what helps us to actively listen and have that posture of curiosity is it it's totally reasonable for you to go away and evaluate what somebody said. You don't have to necessarily commit to solving all those problems right there in the meeting. And this is one of the things you're going to have to get good at uh, as a leader and as a business owner is the more feedback you get, the more people you have, you can't be just running around doing everything everybody says all the time. You just have to, you have to be able to take the feedback and then process it and decide what you want to do with it. One of the things I think is helpful term too, in terms of body language and communicating that I'm really actively listening is to consciously with my body lean toward them. Yeah. And take notes. Yes. Now, I don't know if you agree with that or disagree with that, Megan. But I do when agree. I am taking notes, and I'm talking about not talk, not typing, you know, on my laptop, that communicates right. that I'm distracted. Yep. But I'm literally writing in my full focus planner, writing yep. what they're saying. What that does is communicates to them that what they're saying is so valuable that I'm taking time to write it down. That's right. And then when they finish, what I like to do is to take my notes and say, okay. Let me say what I, let me repeat to you what I heard you say. Mm. That gives them a chance to correct it if you misheard them. Yep. And it also gives you a chance to validate what they had to share with you. Mm -hmm. And then you can say, Bat, man, this is so valuable. Thank you so much. I'm going to really think about this, prioritize it, and try to make the changes that are the most meaningful. 
Yeah, I really like that. I'm glad you brought up the note taking because I think that's really important too. I think that you definitely do not want to take notes on your phone. That's like the worst or your laptop. That's about the second worst. You really want to do it by hand. Uh, you want to make sure you're pausing to look up and make eye contact with yes. that person and, and kind of reinforce what they're doing. I think that's so critically helpful. I have not done the reflective listening thing where I'm repeating back what I heard somebody say, but I feel like that might be, um, like as our friend Stu says, a way to kind of biggie size this. So I'm going to try that next time. I like that. I've done that in other contexts, of course, contexts, but, uh, but not here. So I like that. Good. Well, that brings us to action number five, our last but not least action. Follow up as necessary is action number five. So um, you know, while I said in the previous action, number four, conduct the meeting, you don't necessarily have to feel obligated to do everything that someone asks of you. However, it's really important, I think, that you follow up on the things you are going to do. Because just like you were talking about how important it is to validate what someone says so they understand how valuable it was to you and how important it was, the most valuable the, the, or the best way that you can validate someone is by actually doing what they said, which is, again, not always the, the course you need to take. But when it is, if you can go back to them and say, hey, Jen, I wanted to let you know that I am going to do that thing you said, you know, uh, I, I'm going to start meeting with a team and providing social opportunities once a month because I just think you're right. We really need that for our culture. And thank you so much for that suggestion. If you send that message to someone or, or tell them when you see them, that is going to re- affirm the behavior that you want more of, which is provide that candid feedback so that I can keep getting better. I think that that is, is really, really critical. Um, what I normally do, because I usually end up with several pages of notes from one of these meetings, is I will usually meet with my assistant and process the list. And I'll usually know in my head, hey, I want to do this. I don't want to do that. I definitely want to do this thing. And we'll get that ball rolling right away. That's kind of just the meeting follow-up behind the scenes. And then the next thing is that I'll follow up with the person and let them know what I'm going to do. I wouldn't, by the way, if you have an assistant, I would not have that person join the meeting. I think that makes it feel... Um, even more vulnerable that they have to say it in front of two people, whatever it is that they want to share. So just, you know, keep that in mind if you're doing this in a one-on-one -on -one context. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. So when you set this meeting, you're automatically creating the expectation that you're going to change. And right. if you don't change something, then people will become disillusioned and cynical. Yes. So you've got to follow through. That example I gave earlier about the, the lady who expressed you know, her frustration and not having a file cabinet, a second file cabinet. I literally went that afternoon and got her manager, you know, kind of read him in. And this was a situation where I was meeting with people a little bit further down level without the managers. And I said, order that file cabinet. I'll pay for it out of my department. Hmm. He did it immediately. Then I could communicate to her, hey, thanks for that input. It was super helpful. By the way, we've ordered you a file cabinet. It should be here in a couple of days. I love so that. So that communicates that you're really serious. And, and then guess what? That person goes around and said, oh my God, I shared in a meeting how I had this problem and the guy already fixed it. You know, so that that builds a positive reinforcement in the culture yep. and is the opposite of cynicism. Okay, we've had five actions here. Let me repeat them. By the way, let me encourage you guys, if you're thinking to yourself, oh, I missed all those questions under action number one, which was to select the candor questions. That's where you need to go to lead to dot win and download the transcript because all that's going to be there. Action number two, 
Schedule meetings with direct reports. Action number three, send your questions in advance. Action number four, conduct the meeting. Action number five, follow up as necessary. Meg, do you have any final thoughts on this topic? Yeah, thanks for asking, Dad. You know, I think one of the biggest challenges as business owners, as leaders, is to not unintentionally self-sabotage our own personal growth and business growth by not having self-awareness about where we need to grow. You know, and your business is not going to grow if you, as the business owner, aren't growing. And I think that there's this unexpected uh, vein that we can tap into in terms of our own self-awareness, which is the people that we're actually leading. These, just like our own families and our friends, these are the people who see us up close and personal. And if we have enough courage and enough kind of fortitude in the moment to create space for people to provide their their insights, their perspective, and then we're really open to hearing that, to implementing the things that make sense, then we create a really virtuous cycle of getting the feedback we need to become the best versions of ourselves so that we don't limit the potential of our organizations or the opportunities for the people that we're serving within our organization. So I think once you start doing this, you are just gonna love it. You're never gonna wanna look back. I can't imagine leading without having the opportunity to get this kind of feedback from my team. And that, you know, honestly, that's why we encourage our clients to do this on a regular basis in our coaching program, along with a lot of other performance strategies, because you're just not going to be enough on your own. But the good news is you don't have to be. So good. Join us next time. We'll be talking more about how to win at work and succeed at life. Until then, lead to win. All right, Ken, do you know what's happening right now? No, I have no idea. <laughs> well, first of all, it's your favorite time of year, finally. It's, yes! We can act, okay, like I give approval for us to actually listen to Christmas music now that Thanksgiving's over. Jingle bells, jingle bells. Yes. Uh, it's our holiday sale here at Full Focus. Oh, And we have better. some really awesome deals going on, especially if for some reason you missed out on our Black Friday deals. This is a great time to get your planners and everything for the new year. And so we have got uh, some awesome deals. So we've got 10% off site-wide. Um, we've got where you can get a free um, Your Best Year Ever vinyl sticker pack for any new planner subscri subscription that you sign up for. So these are great to put on things like your Stanley mug. Wow, you already put them on yeah. your Stanley mug? And if are you got them, them if you got them on Black Friday, these are different. These are these are going to be new for the new year. Uh, but they're great for that. You can also put them on your planner, you can put them on your computer, wherever you want them. But they're great. Good. They're great stickers. We're also doing 25% off courses. Let's go. So specifically, we've been talking a lot about our goal setting course. Um, and this is going to be $75 off and you get a free ticket to your best year ever live with your purchase. So you definitely don't. It's huge. like a crazy, crazy, crazy deal. So you don't want to miss out on that. And your favorite thing, which is our certification program we're doing $800 off of it. And this is a fantastic time of year to get in. Um, we are actually going to be doing a beta group for our new digital planner. Yes, it's going to be fantastic. crazy exciting. So anyways, go to fullfocusstore.com now. Shop our holiday sale. Make sure to use the code HOLIDAY10 to get all these deals and more.